I know a lot of you have picked this book up during Lent here at Mill City called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. Anybody, raise your hand if you've been trying this once or twice. Yeah, a lot of you have, okay. Well, uh, today's sermon time is going to be a little bit different in that I structured the whole time that we have for teaching in the same shape as one of these daily offices. So if you've not done it yet, you get a chance to experience it today. It begins and it ends with silence. And then we'll have some scripture and some commentary on the scripture and a question. So uh, a lot of you have been telling us that this has been a helpful way, a simple way to kind of rejuvenate some of your personal time with Jesus and relationship with God. So if you haven't picked it up yet, this next week is on rhythms that we're going to be entering into, Sabbath rhythms, daily rhythms, ways to pay attention to God on a regular basis. I think there's a few left on the back table if you want to grab one uh, and participate this next week. It would be worth it. So... I'm going to pray, and then right after I pray, there'll be two minutes of silence for what the author here calls centering on God. And centering on God doesn't mean just silence for the sake of silence or emptying your mind. Have you ever tried to empty your mind and not think anything? That doesn't work, right? So centering in silence for two minutes for what just means starting to pay attention and ask God to help you pay attention to whatever it is that God may be wanting to communicate with you. And uh, so we'll have two minutes of silence, and if you find that your mind is just sort of wandering and going all kinds of directions or thinking about work or hoping you get to go to a certain restaurant for lunch or whatever, uh, just use a one-sentence prayer to try to bring your brain back to what you're trying to focus on, like, God, help me pay attention to you, or um, Jesus, I'm listening, something simple like that. And then at the end of the two minutes, we'll look at the scripture for today. Sound okay? You willing to try this out with me? I know it's a little different. Like three people are ready to try it out. Okay, the rest of you, sorry, you don't have much choice. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're, we're here with you as a church, all of us. We're all here to listen to you and to be shaped by you, to be encouraged by you. We know that gathering as a church doesn't make much sense without your presence, and so, Lord, we're here to, to listen uh, and to be with you and to receive from you whatever it is you want to give us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's try this. Two minutes of silence and centering. Simple prayers.
All right, here's the scripture for today. It's in Luke chapter 19, the, the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44, it'll be on the screen for you. Here's what it says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the story from Luke about Jesus coming into Jerusalem in the last week of his time on earth. Think about this with me. 2,000 years later, we're still remembering and celebrating a day when Jesus, who's just really a poor guy from a place that very few people have ever been to or cared anything about, rides into the city of Jerusalem on a colt, which is a, a baby donkey, right? A, a donkey that's small, young. And in the midst of that, and the, you know, this colt probably can even barely hold him up. And in the midst of that, all these people who, most of them are not people of influence, they're, they're poorer people, they're taking their cloaks and they're just chucking them into the mud and the muck on this street, and this guy's riding a tiny animal through the muck on people's jackets and then some palm branches that they hacked off trees right there into the city of Jerusalem. And the scene ends with Jesus in this uncontrollable, ugly cry over the fact that the city doesn't recognize God coming to them. So this story kicks off maybe the most important week in human history. 
when the God of the universe allows human beings to kill his son and in the process declares victory over death and offers life to anyone who has faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when this happened, most of the people who experienced it didn't understand what God was doing. This incredible, holy, world-changing week begins with Jesus riding this silly, ordinary donkey through the mud to the city. Now, a couple questions about this, right? Why was Jesus riding a colt uh, into the city? In Matthew's version of the story, it describes the donkey as a young colt that no one's ever ridden on. So why does Jesus choose this way of entering into the city? Some of you know the answer. There's a, there's a text in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, that says this. I think we have that scripture there. Can you put it up for me? It says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so if most of the people in the crowd that morning hadn't woken up and read Zechariah 9.9, which is, it seems like a pretty good chance that that didn't happen, right? They might have missed that little detail, don't you think? In fact, in other accounts in the Gospels, it says the disciples themselves had no idea why he's riding this donkey into the town. Because, believe it or not, Zechariah didn't pop into their head right away when he said, go get a donkey from a guy who probably thinks you're stealing his donkey from them. And when he says, don't steal my donkey, just say, the Lord needs it. Sounds kind of like Star Wars in a way, right? <laughs> so they don't get it. They don't, put, they don't put it together. But Jesus knows what he's doing. He's doing all of these things very intentionally. Why is it important for him to ride a donkey that's mentioned in a scripture that nobody's read or nobody's aware of or few people are aware of? Why is that important? Why does he do that? Because Jesus knows that what he's doing is playing a role, participating in, fulfilling a much larger story. A story that began through him at the creation of the world and ends with him reigning forever at the end of the story when the world is recreated and sin is defeated. But in this moment, in the middle of an, a regular day outside of Jerusalem with a whole bunch of people who now have dirty coats, he's riding a donkey because he understands his role in the larger story. But most of the people miss that because they see just a guy, a poor guy, who might be a heretic riding around on a donkey thinking he's some kind of a king. What does that tell you about who God is? Man, in the climate of the United States of America now, everything is about uh, propping yourself up and proving yourself to be the strongest and most powerful person in the room, in the country, in the world, right? And Jesus, the one that all of us as Christians are following, does the exact opposite. He steals a donkey to sort of ride in on and gives it back later so that he can show what it's like to enter into the life of a city as a humble person who's willing to sacrifice their life and invite people into trust and relationship but force nothing on anyone. That's the God of the Bible. 
So in the midst of our lives, in our everyday lives, what we need to realize is that there are all these ways that we miss what God is asking us to pay attention to. There are all these good reasons for why we miss what God is inviting us to pay attention to. In this story, there were people who missed it because their expectations of God didn't fit who Jesus was, right? He was way different than they thought any Messiah could be. There were people who wanted their king to exercise power over people and force people to do what they thought God was wanting them to do. That sound familiar? They couldn't imagine God working through someone who didn't have the right credentials, didn't have the right degree, hadn't been trained by the right people, didn't come from the right place. That didn't make any sense. They didn't want to admit that Jesus could be the king because that would challenge their authority as religious leaders. They'd have to listen to somebody who they, hadn't, they didn't agree with. And they couldn't imagine a king being from such an ordinary place and coming into a city in such an ordinary way. And for all those reasons and many others, people didn't recognize the moment of God entering into their life in the most important week in human history. So even if most of the people missed this, some of the people understood that God was breaking in and announcing his kingdom in a totally different way. And this is exactly how Jesus is still entering all of our lives now. Isn't it true? Jesus is not out to force you into trusting him. And many of you have stories where Jesus had to invite you and woo you for years and years and years before you really decided this is the person I want to pattern my life after. And that's the way the God of the Bible works. Palm Sunday is an amazing illustration of how humble and generous and invitational God is. Jesus is still inviting us to pattern our lives, as you'll read in this book if you do these devotions over the next week, to pattern our lives in such a way that every day honors the fact that God is the king, that we're dependent upon God for everything we have, and that God puts boundaries around our lives to keep us from the things that are going to wreck our lives. Things like Sabbath, things like rhythm, things like daily paying attention to who God is, things like not taking responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility and stepping into the things that God's gifted us to do. That's the way the God of the Bible invites people into relationship. And one of the reasons why I could say I love Jesus so much because he's not like someone who's trying to force me into doing something. But he's constantly, lovingly calling me to live the free life that he has in mind for me and you. Now, towards the end of this passage that I read you, it takes a turn. And this, Luke, is the only place where we have this window into Jesus' emotion. Deep sadness. The, the Greek language here describes wailing or sobbing. So just imagine the emotional turn here for a second, what this would have been like for the people present. He's riding in on this little donkey you're, not, you're very confused about, but you throw your jacket down anyway, and people are yelling, Hosanna, which just means save or save us or we are being saved or something like that. And they're just jazzed, right? And they're making so much noise that the religious leaders are like, you have to tell them to shut up because they're saying wrong things about you. And he's like, I can't do that or the rocks will be loud. 
And he gets to the end of that little procession and comes to where Jerusalem is just now in view and has a breakdown. He has an emotional breakdown right there where he's in the middle of the street on the donkey, crying uncontrollably, wailing and sobbing. Don't you think that would have been a little confusing for the onlooker? He gets to this point where he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem and he says, these are some terrible things that are going to happen to Jerusalem in the future, which those all, think, all those things come true. And he's weeping over them and he comes to this crystal clear moment and says, all of this happened because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Which is a word in Greek that we use at Mill City quite a bit. It's, it's the kairos moment. The time, the moment of time that has more depth and more meaning and more purpose than the other moments of your life. You didn't recognize all the things that were pointing to me being the most significant thing that ever happened to you in your whole life and you didn't see it. Not only did you didn't see it, Jesus isn't just angry or dismissive. He's wailing. He's not crying there because he knows this is the end five days later. He's not crying for himself He's crying for the city because he's so sad that people don't recognize what God's inviting them into and what he's inviting them into. One thing that's beautiful about that moment is that Jesus is modeling for us what it's like to really be in touch with human emotion. If you ever hear anybody say to, that Jesus is just sort of this non-emotional, calm, I've always got it together, tell them to read the Bible. Because the guy, he, he's elated at times, he's devastated at times, in the midst of what would be an incredibly troubling week, no doubt. He's mostly upset for us. Because we can go through life and not see what it is that God is inviting us into. Now, I'm convinced that Jesus still weeps over individuals, cities, churches, countries that don't see what he's inviting them into. Those who choose power and control over what clear, Jesus clearly embodies, which is love, humility, sacrifice for the sake of others. Does anybody think that the 21st century could use a leader or leaders that embody love and humility and self-sacrifice for other people? To me, it's so compelling to invite people to be followers of Jesus Christ, not because I'm trying to jam my religion down their throat, not because I think my worldview is superior to their worldview, because it seems quite obvious to me that the person we need leading us the most is the one who wails over the city and then walks in and is willing to give his life up for the sake of the whole world. So in this series that we've been talking, we've been saying uh, these are different ways that you can search for God. Different ways that in your life, which searching for God is a regular part of your faith. Here's a way that Jesus invites us to say, you, you, you weren't watching for what God was doing, and on top of that, you didn't know where to look. You weren't willing to look among the ordinary, everyday things. You weren't willing to look on the margins for what God might be doing 
and you weren't willing to accept despite lots of miracles to support the claim that God had come in the midst of somebody who was a regular person, not like a super intellectual person, not somebody with some ridiculous personality, not somebody who's clearly taller than everybody else, not none of that, just like a regular guy from a poor family in a really weird set of circumstances in his own birth in a town that nobody cares about, God decides to enter into the world. And so for us on this day, if you feel like you're searching for God, what I want to encourage you to do is to look on the margin of your life, to look on the everyday things, to look in the little moments that might pass you by otherwise. Conversations with friends, silence in the morning over some coffee where you can either stare at your phone or invite some kind of conversation with God. Moments where you can spend a little bit of time in stopping whatever else you're doing and saying to God, I want to see. I want to see what you're up to. I don't want to miss the moment. I know that you've made me for something more than what the normal narrative is, and I want to know what it is. So, uh, in the structure of this book, each day, each, each half day, concludes with, with a question just to think about. So I'm going to give you a question, and I'm going to give you a minute to think about it um, before we close our service and worship. And the question today is simply this. If God was going to try to get your attention, all right, if Jesus was set on getting your attention this week, how would he do it? What would it look like to you? What would it look like to you this, this next coming week if somehow you became aware that Jesus was trying to say something, trying to get something across to you? Would it be through the con a conversation with a friend? Would it be through a quiet moment in reading something that's meaningful to you, reading scripture and meditating on it? Would it be through some circumstance that you didn't expect that kind of came up and just sort of hit you over the head? What would it look like to you if Jesus got your attention in a special way? Um, let me give you just a minute of silence to think about that. Write something down, put a note on your phone. What would it look like if Jesus was going to get your attention in the next week?
Let me invite the band to come back up. I want to invite you two to share with somebody else if you could think of something. I, th I think this might be one way Jesus is already trying to get my attention or, or might try to get my attention in the next week. Share that with somebody else so that they can be blessed and learn by that from you. Let me finish today by simply saying that I think Palm Sunday is about learning to search for the God of the universe in the ways that we see Jesus entering the world. We shouldn't expect to find the God of the Bible in the most powerful places with the most strategy or the most resources. We ought to look, we ought to know to look for Jesus' presence and the work of the Holy Spirit among the ordinary and the everyday. Among the people who maybe nobody else thinks is, is worth listening to. I, I have a friend um, who said to me after doing four years of work with the poor intensely, day in and day out. He said, when I started working with some of the, the poor in my city, I thought, I'm the one who God has sent to come and, and help them, to provide for them, to listen to them and figure out what they need and, and try to do something that's worth doing. And he said, and certainly we've done some of that, but what I realized four years after doing this day in and day out is that I desperately needed the poor more than the poor needed me. Because... The king that I serve lives among the poor and lives among the people who are marginalized and excluded. And we have that story over and over and over again in scripture. So today, what we're celebrating when we sing the only king forever is not just any kind of king or the king with the most power or the one who's defeated everybody else, but the king who has served the most and defied defied being the king by someone who's willing to literally give their life so that other people can have forgiveness and freedom and inclusion, acceptance, healing, and to be called into a family and a kingdom that values loving other people at any cost to ourselves. The world, the United States of America, Minnesota, desperately needs us to be these people. Right? The world desperately needs us to be who God created us to be, to be people through whom peace comes in the midst of turmoil and argument and conflict. So, in our closing worship set today after I pray, let's stand and declare the King in which we serve, and all that that king has done for us, okay? Let me pray.